Fallow community. Welcome to episode 42. We'll call this the quarantine episode. Holy cow. How's everybody doing out there? Things have definitely gotten strange since our last episode. Normally you might be listening to this podcast as you commute or while you're at the gym, neither of which you're doing anymore. And so now your whole family is gathered around in a circle listening to your smartphone just for anything to pass the time. So, hey, family, how's it going? Welcome to the Philo Podcast. If this is your first time listening to our podcast, welcome. Our goal is to help technical artists in the local church to become more effective so that our churches can become more effective. Basically, an extension of the Philo Conference all year round. And if you've been getting our emails or you've listened to our last podcast, you know that Philo is going fully virtual in May. With so much uncertainty on whether or not we would be allowed to gather as a group, the Philo team decided to shift now and put all of our horsepower towards making the Philo Conference the best online gathering of technical artists ever. And I don't know about you, but to me, it feels like now more than ever before, we need to be gathering together. So I'm really looking forward to this. You know, as a tech person, I like to be in control of my surroundings. I want to know exactly what's going to happen when and how so that I can execute it flawlessly if possible. And I think in our current COVID-19 situation, that pretty much has become a pipe dream, you know, just like unicorns and rainbows kind of an idea. Anyway, I'm trying to learn something new about myself during this time. You know, how much do I really need to be in control? Uh, How many of the details really matter? How bent out of shape should I get uh, when there's a change in plans? And unfortunately for you, I don't have the answers. I'm just asking the questions anyway. It's been good to just at least be aware of the questions I have. For those of you who already have a ticket to Philo, we're really excited about what we're going to be offering, an amazing live online event, and then tons of that content being available on demand after the event. So that's a huge value that you can leverage for your own personal development and for that of your teams to gather afterwards and watch all this on demand after. And if you haven't signed up for Philo yet, maybe because you couldn't travel to be there, We have stacked the streaming platform with all the content we would be offering if it were a live in-person event. We had a live stream last year that we used kind of as a chance to learn how to add that to what we were already doing. And moving into this year, we'd already been planning to expand it to not only show the main sessions, but also do five feature breakouts. And so we're already kind of a good ways down the road on how to expand our online experience. And so we're really excited about adding all the rest of our breakout classes to be available in the moment also. So you can go to philo.org, you can learn all the details and you can sign up for the Philo 2020 Chicago online experience. Anyway, let's get to the podcast now. So uh, on this version of the Philo podcast, my guest is Andrew Sherman. He and I worked at Willow Creek for years together, and he's one of the most amazing visual storytellers I know. And he was the shooter, editor, producer, really helped us with our Eurovision Ola Melzig story that we told at the Philo conference in 2019. Um, He currently works as a creative for Tectonic, which is a video production company here in Chicago, And we did this interview back before the coronavirus had taken over our lives. So it was a lot more easygoing. And oddly enough, the coronavirus didn't come up in conversation once. So this is all content about visual storytelling. All right, so let's listen in. I'm here with my good friend, Andrew Sherman. How's it going, Andrew? Good. Hi, guys. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast. So Andrew and I, we go back a ways. So doing the math, 15 years. Maybe more. (laughs) Oh, I, well, because I was just thinking about, I think the first time I met you was Christmas of 03, right before Christmas sure. of 03. Okay. 
standing in Lakeside. It was our last Christmas in Lakeside. Uh-huh. And we were building this giant set for, I think it was Christmas on the street or something. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I remember like this guy from Michigan came and he might join our team. <laughs> yeah. And I remember thinking like, should Is I crazy? warn him about... <laughs> What's going to go? Because we were, I mean, we were going hard and fast all the time at that point. And that was right. You know, the new building was coming and all that kind of stuff. And It's so funny that you say that because I've talked to many people that had that exact same feeling. Like, oh, here's this guy from Michigan. Seems decent. Should we do the right thing and tell him not to, you know, not to come? Step away. (laughs) Actually, so my memory is very similar to that. But interestingly, in the future, so... January 2004, teardown of Christmas on the street. And my memory of you is, as we were tearing it down, you were taking all the lumber that we were going to throw in a dumpster and you were going to like finish your basement. Totally, yep. Still (laughs) in my old, we moved since then, but yeah, still my old basement. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember (laughs) it all had little like cues written on it in uh. <laughs> like because it was a different parts backstage and it was like you go here at this time and hang this here and all that right, so yeah right. when i put it in my basement it's like oh yeah that's rochelle's cue <laughs> and yeah. all that kind of stuff so, yep that's funny because i did the same thing a few years later yep. and yeah the, i have black two by fours yep totally uh, <laughs> down in my basement yeah <laughs> actually they're two by threes because they were two by sixes that i that ripped, ripped in half yep. yeah I figured since I'm not holding anything up with basement walls, you know, just totally drywall. Yeah. Got to get the drywall up. Yeah, right. So, anyway, cool. So uh, let's maybe talk about how we know each other. So we were both working at Willow Creek. Yep. What were you doing when you were here, and maybe how did you end up here? Uh, maybe I'll give you the short version. You can <laughs> yeah. ask some questions if you want okay. more detail. So yeah, I uh, was in LA uh, with my wife. I was working for Fox Sports Network and uh, randomly met a guy who worked at Willow at a wedding. And he was like, we're hiring a video guy. You should check it out. And uh, at the same time, my wife got a job offer here in Chicago. Okay. I had never heard of Willow. I was like, you know, some little church, maybe they need a little video help. Right. You know, I'll go, <laughs> go help them out. And so came here and blew my mind. And so, yeah, I, they hired, at that point, the Promise Line curriculum was grow- going on. And so... They had put a lot of video resources into that and also needed video help for the weekend service. So I was kind of filled that gap. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, uh, so yeah, when we met, I was, I just always call myself the video guy. Because right, right. <laughs> there's like, I wasn't ever just an editor, just a shooter or just right, the kind motion of graphics it. guy. Or I right. was just like, I just did all the video things. Sure, right. And even like I would consistently, at that point, you know, for the first I don't know, five or six years in production, like video was part of production. Sorry, I should say post-production video was part of production. Sure, right. Mm-hmm. Which meant we were always on for every live event. So I was always running camera at a live event. I would always AD or TD or whatever. And back in those so, days, it was the nine conferences a year yep. plus weekend services plus, plus Christmas, Easter, Christmas, and the summer. Easter, and, yeah. yeah. All that. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that and that was, I mean, that's been... It was always my role at Willow was some kind of video, post-production video something. Sure, right, right. So. Since you started working at Willow Creek and then what, what has kind of transpired since then and what you're doing now? Yeah, so I was thinking, like big picture, I was thinking about outside of the very first job I got at Fox, every, every opportunity that's come my way since has been some kind of God-orchestrated story that I was not really anticipating or okay. like chasing. Mm-hmm. And so... 
including my first time coming to Willow. So I was at Willow, started in 2000 and um, 2008, God <laughs> kind of did this move and shook me up a little bit and ended up feeling called to go to a church in Houston. Okay. And so worked in Houston for almost three years. Oh, really? Um, wow. Yeah, that was, well, we can talk about that too. <laughs> if we want to, that's, that was a different experience. Um, I learned a lot, kind of branched out in what I did and didn't do. And uh -huh. so, and then uh, God, for whatever reason, decided I should come back to Willow yeah, and okay. like kind of orchestrated that again. So I came back here uh, eight years ago now. Sure, okay. And then, yeah, over the course of the past couple of years, obviously it's been a little bumpy for lots of reasons. Sure, right. And again, felt kind of this nudge from God to that something else was coming. And then uh, earlier this spring, decided it was time to step away from Willow. Took a job with some of my old friends at a small company here in Chicago called Tectonic that does work for uh, nonprofits, sure. marketing, video-focused kind of stuff. Sure, so, okay. So yeah, that's what I've been doing now. Yeah, we were talking before we hit record just about the idea of in our minds, we have this idea that things should be easy or that the chaos that exists in my current reality, this is not normal and it should be easier than this. And then you go somewhere else and kind of tends to be more chaos and and just how interesting it is that we kind of assume that things are crazy here, but I look over there and things aren't crazy. So that's how things should be. Well, that is an illusion. <laughs> Yeah. Really, that yeah. things are crazy everywhere. Yeah, it's just a different crazy. And I like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think one, there's, I have many thoughts on this because I've been thinking about this a lot. Yeah. I mean, the, I think one of the things I just realized in the past, you know, six months in the transition for me very clearly was a direction from God. I, right, I spent right. a lot of time trying to sort that out with him. And so I don't necessarily question that. I do wish that after the transition happened, that things would have gone better. Sure. There are some bumps and chaos at the new place. But I, I think one of the things I realized is it's really more about me and how I am reacting or interpreting the things that are happening to me. Okay. You know, I was joking with the guys at work. I was like, you know, wherever I go, there I am. Yeah, like right. it's not yeah, like yeah. I'm going to go somewhere else and everything's going to be different. Like I'm there and I'm kind of ingesting whatever's going on and I need Reacting to, to it. Yeah, right. And so um, just realizing, I think in the past year or so, I still need to work on me and what I need to, right. you know, my walk with God, my interaction with my family, everybody else. Like, how do I keep making that better? Sure. I think the other thing I realized just going back to the chaos thing is we're never going to change and be better if everything just stays the same. Like right, I, right. I do need some kind of challenge or push or whatever to to make me get better, to be closer to God, to anything like that. Sure, and right. So, and that's something that I try to like uh, instill in my kids even, like you shouldn't be expecting everything to go great. Right, like right. You need to, they have, you need to rub up against something hard. Well, I think about even building muscle and all this stuff or resistance uh, or being able to run longer distances, you know, it all comes from, some pain and some yep. struggle and some resistance and otherwise you won't get stronger and it applies to life as well. Yeah. yeah. And the fact, the other thing, uh, maybe this kind of goes against what I just said, but uh, <laughs> this was, this was a talk that we heard at Willow a few, maybe a month or so ago. And just this idea that if you're always looking where the grass is greener, instead of putting your energy towards looking at where the grass is greener, water your own grass. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Like put your energy into trying to, maintain or build or fix the system you're currently in. Right. And I do think there's a, at a you're going to reach a point and be like, 
there's uh, there's nothing else I can do. Sure, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but at the same time, just like always looking at the other thing and be like, oh, everybody's got it better or whatever. That's not right. helpful for much. I mean, I think when I look back on my first year at Willow Creek, so that 2004, uh, we moved into the new big auditorium. And so a lot of that, the installation of production stuff was done by us. And it was a hard year. And I remember... <laughs> take all variables out, hard year. And then you, like, I'm moving here from somewhere else. <laughs> yep. I don't know anybody. I don't know the system. And I just remember thinking, this stinks. And the only thing that kept me going every day was, I know that God called me to leave where totally. I was. Yep. And this is where I am now. And until I, I guess, get a sense that it's time to go from from God, then I'm here. Yep. And there's something really great about that kind of a perspective that it might seem like everything's great over there or what used to be was so much better. Yeah. But if I'm confident in where God's called me to be, then then that's, I have to sort of anchor myself on that. Yeah. That's what got me through that first year. Totally. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. The metaphor I've heard before is, uh, I can't remember where this came from, but just this idea of like, you're on a pond and like this stone for you to take the next step is on, like is appears in front of you. So you take this next step. Yeah, yeah. But if you're ever wondering about what the next step is, look back at the stones that have already been placed there and like, okay, I see where God gave me this stone to step on before. Right, right. And that in, hopefully is confidence for you. And okay, I know I'm on the stone for a season or a reason. And so the next stone may or may not come, but God has provided these stones for me. Sure, to right, right. Already, yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, and I think too, there's something about, uh, I was talking to my kids the last couple of days just about what does the future hold and what should you be doing? And it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in the big thing that we think is in front of us and we don't know how to get there yeah. when really it's it's more about what's what's the next thing right in yep. front of you and do that and then worry about the big thing later yeah. Uh, yeah. because there's no way you can know how to get there totally. without taking the next step. Yeah. yeah. So um, the way that I know you mostly is, you know, doing video stuff. So mm -hmm. you, like you said earlier, you, you're not just one thing, you're, you're many things. So especially in the church world, so much of video has become like the main thing, yep. it seems like. And there are so many things to get done. There's shooting, there's editing, there's audio, there's coloring yep. or whatever you call it. That's yeah. as color, it came sure. out of my color, color grading. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There it is. Color when it came out of my yeah. mouth, they're like, what an idiot. That's <laughs> not right. Yeah. There's so many things to do and so many details to sort of keep track of. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you, do you have a thought process as you're entering a project? Like how do you approach the shoot day or, you know, are you always thinking about how you're going to edit it together? Like, I just would love if you have a, mental process. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe I'll say one thing before we go into that even bigger picture. Like, I feel like everything I've learned is because I've messed it up at some point along the way. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so my approach to any project always comes from, well, what did I do wrong last time? Not right, in a right. like, oh, woe is me. I'm a bad sure, person. Yeah, but yeah. like you, you experience pain from doing something wrong. Kind of right. like we talked about with life. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, I don't want to do that again. Right. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I think stepping back big picture, like when a project or an idea is presented to me or my team or whatever, it's like, I'm always interested first in the why. You want to do a video because right. X, Y, Z. You want, you know, the question we ask a lot is like, after somebody sees this video, 
what do you want them to feel or do right. or what type, you know, what does that look like? Right. And so, you know, who is your audience? So to say, like, who's your audience and what do they want? Or right. What do you want them to do? Right. And I think sometimes you can fall into the trap of like, video's cool. Let's do a video just to do a video. And like right. other people are doing videos. So here's a video. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't, there's no purpose or focus for it. Sure, and, right. Um, you know, a lot of churches and organizations are wired differently for different purposes. And so maybe there's different reasons to do these videos. Right. And so, so nailing that down as best you can. And like the, the other thing here is like, when you make a video, it's never going to go great from top to bottom. Like something, yeah. always, there's always going to be a wrinkle or a bump or whatever. And even like, there's different levels of creativity that can come into videos depending on what kind it is. I mean, if it's sure. just 30 seconds of your teaching pastor asking people to come next week, well, that's, there's yeah, not a huge no. level of creativity right, there. Right. But if you're telling a story or doing some kind of spoken word piece or whatever, you know, the creativity changes there. So once you get the why down, then the next thing is it's kind of this two-headed monster of resources versus creativity. And it's not like they don't battle each other necessarily, sure. but there's always a tension there. Sure. And so depending on who's on the team or if it's just me, which I don't typically like, I love to collaborate <laughs> yeah, and yeah, do yeah. things, but it's like, okay, so we know the why and then it's the how. So like maybe there's a script that needs to get written or maybe we need to go to YouTube and Vimeo and look at, here's a way somebody else has accomplished this type of sure, thing. Sure, right. Uh -huh. And it's kind of coming up with like a creative treatment of, uh, maybe it's just like a outline of a script or something. And sure. so like, it's gonna sound like this and it, it'll look like this, uh -huh. or, you know, here's the here's general content and it's gonna look like this. And then from there, it's like, okay, really most of the time as I've created video, and this is again, learning through mistakes, like try to take an approach of like, what of the model of like a filmmaker would be, which is the script goes comes first. Basically. Sure, okay. And then you base all, you it's a script breakdown situation. So whether it's a pre-planned script of somebody, you know, just delivering a monologue, okay, let's get that script, let's figure out. It's this long, it's supposed to be in the forest, it's supposed to be at night. Yeah. What does that mean? It means lights, it means sound, I mean, you know, so breaking right, right. it down that way. And a lot, I think the thing that we've learned over time is that I think a lot of church video is based on like a testimony situation. Sure, or, right, right. You know, a my story or yep. lots yeah. of different words for it, but there can be a script for that too. Yeah, I was going to ask you weird. about that. Yeah, right. So it's like, no, well, I mean, they're just telling their story. Like, sure. But the work that goes into figuring out what that story is should give you enough rails to run on to figure out what resources need, you know. Right, right. So maybe we're going to tell the story of a family of 10. Well, we probably, if we're going to interview them all at the same time, is that 10 microphones? How many cameras do we need? <laughs> yeah. You know, that kind of sure, thing. Sure, right, um, right. A lot of the work we've done... And this is even in, you know, both the ministry world and kind of what I'm stepping into now. There's so much work prior to picking up a camera or anything like that, that makes the picking up the camera and going from there so much easier. Sure. So in a storytelling situation, like a testimony, whatever, there's a pre-interview, maybe there's a second pre-interview, all those types of things end up into a quote unquote script, which okay. is not you're not telling them what their life was or what their story was. It's right. like- You're assembling their yeah, story into assembling, a story yep, exactly. format. Yeah, so, right. you know, in a pre-interview, you said this and you said this. And so um, kind of slotting it in and then figuring out. So we have the script, so to speak, of the story. Mm -hmm. And how do we support that visually? Sure. Is it just them sitting in a chair talking? Right. 
Are they walking through the woods at night? Are, you know, like, right. what are some visual ways that we can support this? Sure. So when you look at a project and you're talking about the, like a pre-interview and that sort of thing and writing a script, how much of the project exists before you ever turn a camera on? Is it 50%? That's I mean, it probably yeah. depends on the project, obviously, yeah. but I don't know that I've put a percentage on it. It's tough because the the time it takes to do a pre-interview, you know, assemble yeah. that into a script, that might not be as much. Right. Because, yeah, like if we're going to do a shoot, even an interview shoot, like I would block a whole day off for that. Like that's an eight-hour situation. Where sure, right. Getting the gear, setting it up, doing the interview, tearing it down, blah, 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 you right. know. But like a pre-interview might be a one-hour phone call, but like sitting around and brainstorming for what visuals go with this interview, sitting down and taking the interview and taking it from an hour long into like three minutes or five minutes. Sure. Like there's multiple hours there and then the level of pre-production, maybe it is about 50-50. Yeah. Um, It seems to me like when when you're talking about a shoot day, even for for, um, a story situation, you're talking about lots of people hours yep. that don't exist in pre-production. Yep. You know, you don't necessarily have grips and lighting people, and and maybe yeah. people who are listening to this don't have those things yeah. anyway. It's all you. Yeah. But there's still a lot of work that goes into that shoot day. That yeah, when you're imagining how you're going to do it and figuring out the script, yeah, it's probably one person or two people yeah. sitting down and just yeah. working through it. And then when you get yourself to the edit, do you feel like? I kind of figured out the shots we needed beforehand. We got them. I put them in that order. We have the script. Does it just kind of fall into place or? (laughs) No, it never (laughs) falls into place. I think one thing just in general, and again, I think a lot of crews, this is just the reality or a lot of, you know, men or women who are doing this on their own. Like, Mm -hmm. but in situations where the team is a little larger, I always advocate for the editor being in the whole process top to bottom. Sure, yeah. Ultimately, the editor is the one who is telling the story because they're assembling the pieces. Right. Certainly you can do a pre-interview or write a script and shoot stuff, but that's not the story. Sure, Like there might actually be a different story in all those pieces that you didn't anticipate until you get into the edit. And so to go back to your question, yeah, I always want to be on the shoot, whether I'm just sitting there watching, which almost never happens. Yeah, or right, yeah. if I'm hey, operating camera or directing yeah. or, yeah, yeah. Why, why is I going to sit in there? <laughs> He's the editor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but even if you look at feature films, like a lot of times the editor will come and he just sits on set. Sure, right. What's he right. Do? But, you know, or she. But yeah, just the idea of following the story from front to back. So usually my goal when I first sit down to edit, first thing I do is I'm always going to watch everything. Sure. Every last frame that we shot just get it in my head. Sure, right. And then the next goal is we had a script of some sort walking into this shoot that we were hoping to capture. So first step is let's try to make a visual representation of what that script was. Sure. So, you know, they said this, then we go to this shot, then they said this. Yeah. And then just look at it. Yeah. (laughs) Decide if it works or not. Yeah, right. Probably 95% of the time it's too long. Yeah. Um, you know, only or, 95%, I would say 99% of the yeah, time too long. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. There's been a few like teaching curriculum side of things that, right. you know, if you do your pre-production right, everybody's on board before you go and you shoot it, you edit it. Oh, it's the same thing. Sure. Right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, once you get into anything a little more creative than that, like any kind of storytelling or any kind of written script, there's, right. a, there's leeway to actually figure out what the story is. Right. Right. And certainly time is always a factor. And yeah. so, 
you'll probably hear me say this a lot, but like doing this as a team is so important because you start out as a team and you kick it around and maybe one person takes the lead on writing a script or whatever. Right. And then, you know, you break it down and the team is on the shoot and the team shoots it together. And then editing is more of a solitary sport to a certain extent. Right. But, you know, my first step after I get, take the script, make it into something, and then mm -hmm. I bring the team back around. Right. And how does this feel to you guys? Is this what we thought? Right. Usually the answer is no, it's not, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> let's tweak that or let's shorten that or whatever. Right, right. Um, in different situations, probably less on the church ministry side, more in where I am now, there's like a client who's involved. Right. And so when do we show this to the client? And, right. how, you know, there's kind of a, how much rough cut can they endure versus how much polishing sure, do we right, need to right. do? Um, well, I mean, you think about in a church setting, there's probably a group of people that can make decisions to a certain point, but then you have to show it to the pastor. Yeah. Yep. So when is that moment? Is yeah. it with no background music or do we have to, uh, can we do background music with the watermark person totally, saying yep. background music or whatever? Yeah, yep. yeah there, that still is a thing. It's interesting hearing you talk about your process because I, if we go back far enough, I was a shooter, editor, light, you know, lighting person, audio. I did all the, the things to tell story videos mostly. Yep. And the person that I worked with, he was from the, from the news angle. So he, would, he was used to go out, shoot a thing, get it back, edit it. It's on the five o'clock news, totally. you know? Yep. And so for us, it was always, we kind of knew the story, but we would write the script after the video. Yep. And he would go through and, you know, transcribe essentially the whole thing and then put it in an order. And yeah. so we were always kind of, yeah, just backwards or I don't know what, but. Uh, I don't know if it's backwards. I mean, I think that's an approach that a lot of people take. We walk into storytelling with a certain way that we want to tell stories. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we've developed over time. Guessing a lot of people are familiar with Don Donald Miller. He has like a storyline, kind of like how to tell your story, how to tell your brand. Okay. Um, so we kind of cherry picked some pieces of that. And then there's a book that's called Save the Cat. Okay. Which is about, <laughs> it's kind of about the traditional Hollywood model of storytelling, okay. which is, it's funny, like you kind of live in it and you don't really think about it, but like every, not, I would say 90% of Hollywood movies have this kind of story arc uh -huh. that we've just been trained as Americans to love and accept. And that's why we go to movies, it feels good. And so that's what Save the Cat is about, is kind of the traditional Hollywood narrative. Okay. And then we threw some Donald Miller storyline stuff in there. And so we take this idea of how we want to tell a story and I, there's not like one way to tell a story, sure, right. you know, but there are certain things that you probably want to hit. So the, um, the model of storytelling informs how we would approach telling somebody's story. Sure. Okay. So that's where the like pre-interview quote unquote scripting comes in, even right. though they haven't really said exact words, you're like, okay, you know, here's, here's your life story. Right. Right. <laughs> or here's a portion of your life story. And there's a model of storytelling that we know is effective that people can connect to. Sure. And so how does, how your life has gone fit into what this sure. story model is? And it's not, we're not like rearranging your life or lying about your life or right. being disingenuous about what happened. It's like, well, when that happened in your life, that's probably kind of this part of the story. Sure, right, and, right. You know, when this happened, it's probably that part. And so we approach, we walk into an interview, not just like, wide open door, like, tell me about your life. And right, then just sit right. back and let it flow out. Cause sure. that typically isn't very effective anyway. Yeah. So we come in with very specific ideas about, can you tell me about this portion of your life? Sure. And what happened there and that type of thing. And then we kind of build the story out from there. And maybe there's something unexpected that the person will say, 
maybe not. You sure. Know, it really depends on them. I think in a ministry situation, you're kind of pastoring a person through their story because they're right. talking about how God has been at work in their life mm-hmm. or maybe God has felt absent or whatever. And so you're helping them see maybe where God showed up and that type of thing. So there's a pastoring element there. It doesn't, you know, in the secular world, it's not always that way. Right, There's right. still a way that, that you want to get the story to flow out. Sure. It's interesting to me when I think about how to tell a story, there's a book that came out called Unbroken. I guess the, it's probably a movie too, yep, uh, yep. about Louis Zamperini, who's a POW in World War II. And the, that, I don't know if you've ever read that book. Amazing. Crazy, that yeah. Unbroken, amazing. Yep. Okay, so Louis Zamperini wrote an autobiography years before. Uh-huh. It's awful. It's an <laughs> yep. awful book. And it's the same story. Yeah. And yeah, just the potential of how to tell someone's story. I mean, that's a great example totally. of yeah. what to focus on, what not to focus on, what matters, what doesn't. This is totally random. Thinking about my first roommate in college. Never met him. Oh, this was back in the day before Facebook and all yep. this stuff. would just show up and, oh, here's your roommate. Yeah. <laughs> and he was the worst storyteller ever He because he would, <laughs> he would get hung up on a detail that... Yep. Like none of us are from your hometown. We don't care what street this thing happened on. We yeah. wouldn't even know, even if you got it wrong, we wouldn't know, just move on. And we would spend most of the time just yelling at him, just finish <laughs> the story. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's, I mean, I think even to go back to the unbroken thing for a second, I think the movie is different than the book, which is different than the autobiography right, because right. there's different ways of telling stories visually that you're not gonna have. Right. And there's also, I think that's why a lot of people get hung up on like, the book was never like the movie. Sure, like, right, right. Because when you read, you imagine all these things in your mind that right. may or may not actually come true on the screen. Sure. And, you know, there's all kinds of different constraints and benefits to doing a visual story versus a book story. Well, I mean, so. I think, yeah, you can have a, a page and a half of descriptors about the environment. Yep. And in the movie, it's it's the it's just one shot. Totally. Yep. It gives and you all you that. Yep. Yeah, and you're done. Move on. Yep. Huh. But the flip side is, like, there's so many in books, there's so much, like, internal... I was thinking this, I was thinking that, you know, like, right. you can't, there's only so long you can just look at somebody thinking in a movie <laughs> and we're like, uh, okay, this is boring. So it goes right. both ways. Sure, yeah. right, yeah. Now, one thing that I always found difficult to do was as an editor, the managing all the little details versus is this is it even working as a yep. story yep. that you get so, you know, oh, should this dissolve be 15 frames or... 13, you know, just <laughs> totally. that yep. you're, you're managing those little tiny details. How do you, do you have like a switch that you throw? Like, okay, now I'm in detail mode. We're going to nail all those details and then I'm going to sit back and see if it works or how do you manage the two? Yeah, I think, and I'm a super perfectionist, so I totally get where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah. And I've learned that like the story wins basically. Sure. So right. the story, the story has got to be right first. And certainly there's always a deadline. Yeah, you can never tweak something indefinitely. Yeah, right. So, depending on the deadline, usually we'll say, okay, we need to make sure that we feel great about the content by this day, so that I, as an editor, have one more day to clean it all up and make it pretty or whatever. Sure, right. Um, One thing I will do, you know, like I still have that in the back of my mind as I'm putting the story together. So I'm not just like sloppy throwing (laughs) whatever down. Like I know, like I still got to clean this thing up. Right, Um, right. So I'm still keeping that in mind, building my sequence in a way where I can keep it clean, move stuff around. You know, if it's a multi-camera shoot, I keep all that stuff there so I can pop around to cameras and all that kind of right. stuff. But yeah, I don't, until the story is really, like we feel really good about the story, I'm not like 
getting super picky yeah, about yeah. stuff. And one thing, I guess the exception there would be one thing I try to pay a lot of attention to when we're doing the story is making it sound like the person, like it's one seamless conversation that this person is having. With sure, us. right. Like right. a lot of times I'll close my eyes and just listen to them talking because my goal is to make it sound like they just said the thing. Even if I just edited five different takes together sure. to make them say one sentence. Yeah, yeah. I want it to sound like they just said that sentence. Right, right. And again, not trying to twist their story or make them say things that they didn't say. Right, but, right. But, you know, even as we have conversations, there's stuff that there's a bunch of ums and errs in there and let's take all that out. And right, so right. I pay a lot of attention to that detail mm-hmm. as I'm going through so that when we listen to it, it feels like a seamless thing. Sure, even right. if later we have to take out 30 seconds of this bit or whatever. Right, like, right. It's still worth my time to make it flow yeah, it's interesting to me. So I came at uh, video editing after I was an audio person. And so I was the one sitting at the console when the video would play. And so I'm left with whatever <laughs> the video person has given to me yes. to deal with. Yep. It was me. So I had the benefit of saying, okay, how do I make my job easier yep. on Sunday morning? And so that's how I'm thinking about the audio portion of totally. And just hearing you say that, it, there's so much of a video that resides in the audio world. Totally. Like just yeah. even what you said, that it feels like a normal conversation. It has yeah. nothing to do with visually. Nope. That's like an extra layer. Yep. And I would say one of my frustrations over the years as I moved away from doing that was the lack of attention paid to audio for totally. videos yeah. by video people. So yeah, in a perfect world, we all have a an audio post guy and he makes it sound all great and adds extra this and that and takes out the bad stuff, whatever. But the reality is that- Probably doesn't always Yeah, a lot of times you're gonna gonna have to do it. I mean, how much time do you spend it with that in mind, if you were doing it, I mean, how much time do you leave yourself to make it sound good? Yeah, and I mean, uh, yeah, I am spoiled by the fact that we typically use an audio post guy. So in that situation, my goal is to give him everything he needs to make it sound great, which is like, I mean, just going back to big picture audio, like uh, number one goal when we're capturing something audio wise is to have both a boom and a lav all the time, two separate sources. If we can do a high low for each source, we'll even do that. So you're talking about four channels there. Right. And then I will keep all that in the timeline and give that to the audio post guy. Sure. And then keep the sequence neat, you know, like make sure all the stuff's on the same track all the time. Right, Sound right. effects on a different track, music on a different track. But that also organizationally, if I'm not giving it to the audio post guy, that still helps me. Sure. Because I'm like, oh, channel one is always the high part of the lav or right. channel four. And when you is say high, low, you're talking about a hotter signal. Yeah. Or, so yeah. Basi- yeah, I mean, like basically we put anywhere from three to six dB difference between, like if you run tone, put one at 20 and one at... 15 or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And then just so, or when you adjust the level of when you're getting your mic check, which you should always get a mic check, yeah. make sure that they're bouncing at two different levels on, so that in case they scream or laugh or whatever, right. you still got coverage both sides. Because yeah. sometimes you're gonna have to use both. Yeah, right. But yeah, I, one of the biggest things, well, there's two things. The first thing is being in a situation where you can hear things well enough to make a decision on what the audio should be. Sure, right, right. Like if your video is going to play back in a 500 seat auditorium or a thousand seat auditorium. Like, are you sitting in an edit suite, edit suite situation where you can actually evaluate right. what the audio is going to sound like? Yeah, yeah. Or are you? Do you just have your Apple headphones in your ears? Right. You know. <laughs> um, 
which so and sometimes that's what you got to do. So if if you don't have the resources or the space or whatever to make your edit suite give you at least a decent representation of what audio might sound like, then build in some time to go up to the auditorium <laughs> with your video and right. play it. Yeah, yeah. And what's happened over time for us is and even with our audio post guy, like he'll come into the auditorium and listen to stuff that he's done and be like, oh, next time I should do this or this. Sure, and so right. in the same way for you, if you don't have the luxury of an audio post guy, once you do something in your edit suite and bring it up to the auditorium and listen to it, you'll be like, oh, man, that frequency is hitting hard in the auditorium right, and right. I don't hear it at all in my edit suite or yeah. whatever. You know, so like, and just try figuring out how to dial it in. And similarly, uh, on the video side, like when you watch something on your monitor, and then right. you take it up to the auditorium and you watch it. It's like, wow, that's way more red. Or the blacks right. are near as crushed as what I'm doing. Or, you know, stuff sure, like right. that. So yeah, it's yeah. just, and maybe your video doesn't play in an auditorium. Maybe it's only going on a website or something. Right. But it's still, so in that case, it's like, let me put it on my laptop and play it on my laptop speakers. Right. And see what that sounds see like. See it on my phone and listen exactly. to it that way. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I know when I was doing, I, the first couple videos that I edited were yeah, it's so stupid, but there was uh, the little speaker, you know, a little anchor speaker is what I was editing to. And then I got, you know, behind the console, you know, for the weekend service. And there was so much wind noise in the microphone that I'd never heard. Yep. But that super low rumble. Uh, yep, totally. Like it ruined it. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, I got to figure out like How some I, gigantic yeah. headphones that, you know, yep. can reproduce those low frequencies so I can hear it. Totally. And so... I would still edit with the anchor, but then when it was time for audio, like put them on yep. and listen to this. Totally. Yeah. And yeah, the nice thing these days is there's so many smart tools to clean up audio a lot. Yeah. Like you can just say, there's this background sound, isolate it, get rid of it. Yeah. You know, right. even in your basic like Premiere, Resolve, or Final Cut or whatever, like those tools are right there. Sure, right. Those can be helpful. Sure. You can also use them too much and everything sounds yeah, awful. Ruin everything. You yeah, know, right. so it sounds like the whole thing was auto-tuned or something. Right. But, <laughs> so, but yeah, there's... Unless that's what you're going for. Unless like that's that, yeah. your thing, yeah. <laughs> you want that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, lot, there's a lot more tools now than there used to be to get audio in a place where your front of house guy isn't cursing you every time right, right. you bring a video in. One of the things too that we have done over the years at Willow Creek is learn that in a big auditorium, in a live situation, it's hard to know how it's going to play. And so we've, we have separated out the totally. vocal, like the talking from everything else so that that's the thing. In somebody's story, that's what matters, yep. not the background music or whatever. And so being able to control that separately Totally. It's been a huge win. And I notice when I don't have it in a live situation, I'm thinking, oh, this would be so much better if we could just For sure. tweak that yep. a little bit higher, hotter. Yeah. Uh, but Well, we, I mean, the kind of the standard at Willow is even we go so far as to split music, voice, and sound effects out. Right. So right. like, wow, that sound effects is a little too hot right there. And even we'll, because we have eight channels of options, we'll often split multiple voices into multiple channels. Uh -huh. So the VO is always on three the like sync sound of the person talking on camera is on four. Uh -huh. And then the front of house guy, I think he always will re-EQ something. Right, right. You know, as it yeah. comes through the board to make it sound better than the room. And yeah, the weird thing about, especially a larger spot, is you might listen to something in the room empty. Yeah. And it'll sound one way. And when the room gets full, right. it sounds totally different. Sure. And so yeah, the opportunity to ride some of those levels and re-EQ and all is a big Yeah, deal. I think even if you know if you have a video 
that's playing at the top of a session or a service and there's still lots of noise in the room, like things that you you can't rehearse. Totally. That yep. just to be able to, I mean, some if you don't ever have to change it, great. But to not give yourself the option. For sure. Yeah, yep. definitely setting yourself up for. Yeah, and I'd say on the flip side too, like even um, if you're looking at a website situation or like a YouTube, whatever, if you're mm -hmm. pushing something to the website, the mix that's going to go into your auditorium should not be the same thing that goes to your website. Right. I mean, you want to be able to, again, let's do it on headphones or on your laptop speakers. And in general, you probably want to push volume overall. Right. Because I think your front of house guy wants more headroom than sure, <laughs> the yeah, internet yeah. does. Yeah. <laughs> but then just like maybe we do need to push vocals more for the website and duck some of the sound effects or whatever. Sure, yeah, it's right. Just, it goes back to like keeping your sequence organized and knowing like, okay, this is all the sound effects are here, so let's just pull them all down. Right, right. Or whatever, yeah. Now, when you're in the middle of an edit, do you ever feel like you have enough footage? <laughs> or do you, uh, do you feel like, oh man, I wish I had, you know, 20% yeah. more or... Yeah, I, I'm trying to think. Potentially the only time when I felt like I had maybe too much. I don't even know if I had too much, but like there's been several concert DVDs I've done. And oh, so right, you've got yeah. like ten eight or ten ISOed cameras <laughs> yeah. that you could pick from at that certain moment. And it's yeah. like, well, I don't, do I really need to watch all 10 of these or do, right, you know? Right. But yeah, most of the time <laughs> I'm like, man, we could have used a couple more shots. That's what I probably sure. most consistently kick myself on is even though I'm on the shoot and I'm typically operating or directing. Right. I'm like, man, I should have made us do that one more time or I right. should have whatever, try to think of another situation, another piece of B-roll that we could have filmed. Right, right. The interesting, the fun slash frustrating challenge is like, okay, we've got this. How can I make it work? Right, right. Like maybe there's some kind of visual metaphor that I hadn't anticipated would work in this. You know, there's been times when it's just been like a beautiful sunset, which had sure. nothing to do with the story. Yeah, yeah. But we shot some cool stuff with the sunset and it's like, oh, maybe this could fit at this point in their story because sure, they're right. talking about rebirth or what, you know, yeah, like, yeah, right, or right, right. whatever, all that kind of stuff. Sure, so right. my approach on a shoot, no matter what role I have, is if I know I'm editing, I'm sitting there going, okay, so they said this, but they totally botched that line. So can we ask them to say it again? Right, right. Or I'm like, okay, this piece of B-roll works great, but it has to cover three minutes of the edit. So we sure. need like 10 times more of it. So what yeah. else can we shoot? Or, right, right. <laughs> the thing, the the place I get burned probably the most is you shoot something and you think it looked great in camera and you might even check playback and you think it looked sure. great, but then you get it in the edit suite. It's like, oh man, focus was off or there, it was a little too bumpy right, right. or whatever. And so I've gotten in the habit sometimes of like, even though we feel great about whatever that take was, mm -hmm. let's do it one more time. Right, right. You know, let's call it a safety. And sure. same with like lines sometimes. I'm like, that was a great delivery, but can you do it one more time? Just, right, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? And maybe it'll get better the time after that. Right, But right. at least you know you got a good one, and then you can do one more. Yeah. So I think the thing that surprised me when I was doing video work was just how much staging was required to have a natural feeling story at the end of it. Yep. And I remember the moment where we were doing a like a couple interview, so the husband and wife, so because she's going to talk we ask her all the questions, then we ask all the questions to the husband, and then we do two of them. And then at the end, uh, my producer's like, okay, let's get a shot of him watching her talk and nodding and mm -hmm. smiling. And and I just remember thinking, what? Oh my gosh, we're totally fabricating this whole thing. Yep. But that's how you do it. And then you and, get the edit and you're like, thank goodness uh, yeah, we did thank that. Goodness, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A picture of him nodding. Yep. Um, and 
I mean, now watching those videos, you know, where they cut away to the person interviewing and he's nodding. I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh. Covering just, edit. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Stage. What did he not say there? Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> but it tends to make me uncomfortable, you know, that, hey, we're asking you to, yeah. to kind of play along here and we're taking up your time and all this stuff. And just that to tell an effective story, you kind of have to get over the fact that, yeah, there's some of these things that are just going to take time. And yeah, can you say it again? And yep. I think for me, even this podcast recording that we're doing, I'm more about like save your story yep. because I want it to be organic, which yep. I think as a tech person, I hated when people would say that. <laughs> like, come on, let's tell me exactly it. what's yeah, going to happen. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's something you gain from it being organic, but there's also to, especially with video, to tell it well requires maybe a little extra something. Yeah, it's it's tough because this is like a bigger picture, like theoretical question, but like I'm always fascinated by the idea that as I assume a majority of our audience is grew up in America. You know, right, right, this, sure. Yeah. So like when you grow up in America, you watch certain types of media, you know, television, movies, whatever. Right. You're kind of enmeshed in this way of storytelling that if you go around the world, it's not the same. Uh-huh. But the fishbowl we live in and there's right, right. like – we're just used to the cutaway of the guy nodding. Right. Or, you know, in films, there's certain things, there's certain things that we, in like Bollywood, they would never do this random cutaway this way. But in sure. America, it's like, oh yeah, that's, I'm just used to totally seeing that. And even story, yeah. you know, bigger picture storytelling. So all that stuff informs how as Americans, we are making videos for our church or our clients or whatever. Right. And so there's some stuff that we joke a lot with people who are on set with us, you know, like, hey, we're making movies where this is fun. Ha, yeah, yeah. This is how it really goes. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's stuff that until you start to really study it, that just happens. You know, like that you right. just assume it is normal and natural as a viewer. Whereas behind the scenes is like all kinds of crazy stuff is going on. To sure, make right. Yeah. These things happen. So, you know, there's an understanding of that. But even going back to the, I just want to touch on something you said about like making the people feel uncomfortable or weird. Right, right. I mean, we, I guess two things on that. One of the things that we really try hard to do is from top to bottom is make people feel comfortable with right. set expectations. Like, hey, we're just going to have this conversation for an hour. We're going to, he's not going to be on camera. This is kind of what, you know, and just walk them through. And even the day of the shoot, like, I know this sounds weird, but we're going to want to have you sit in this chair for two hours and we're going to ask you questions. And then we're going to have you go outside and walk around in your yard for 45 minutes (laughs) and get you doing different stuff. And um, so relationally, you want to build that trust with them a little bit. And it's hard sometimes if they don't know you from Adam and it's like you're just walking in their life. But like trying to keep that part connected. And then, yeah, totally like setting expectations top to bottom. Like, right, right. And then honoring them too. Sure. You said that you would give us four hours. Thank you. Four hours is up. Okay, we'll right. let you go. Even if we didn't get the shots we needed, like sure. um, our approach has always been like the people are still the most important in this whole process. Right, right. Certainly the people who are on camera and being interviewed or whatever, but also the people behind the scenes. Like sure. let's make sure that this process feels good for the grips and the whatever, all that kind of stuff yeah, right. so that everybody has a good experience filming. and Right, right. I mean, it's interesting to think about most people who are telling their story, I would imagine aren't super comfortable with being the center of attention. Totally. So then you get onto a set where, I mean, even if there's only two or three people, but let alone 10 or whatever, yep. however big the set can get. And now you're saying, yeah, just relax. And yep. you got, <laughs> everything's pointed at them. Yep. Everybody's yep. attention is on them. Yep. Uh, you know, thinking about somebody that's lighting them. 
Yes. It's like, when have you ever been lit? Never. And you probably <laughs> never will be again. Yep. Yeah, it just feels weird. Makeup or whatever the things are. Totally. Um, yeah. Getting mic'd up. Yep. Yeah, just... One of our friends, Dave Hunter, who we've done some work yep. with, he he has a thing that he does where as he's coaching them how to answer the question, you're like, I need you to kind of repeat the question like this. And so yep. he will throw out, what's your favorite cereal? And they would say Cheerios. Oh no, you got to say, you know, yep. my favorite che- cereal is Cheerios. You know, so they, they're answering a question that doesn't matter. Totally. And yep. having fun and just kind of yep. getting relaxed, which people need to be for sure uh, to tell their story well yeah yeah and that goes back to the relationship i mean dave's such a great relational guy yeah he is yeah and having people feel though our goal is always like let's make it feel like you're just sitting down for coffee with this person and having a conversation right right so the first most important thing is like let's make sure somebody you want to talk to and feel comfortable like engaging with them and right right bearing your soul to a certain extent yeah. and some of that comes from the pre-interview and all the previous conversations leading up to the actual right, right. sitting down and doing it but then we do all kinds of different stuff too. Like we know this, especially with kids, like the more stuff you hide, the more comfortable they tend to be. Okay. Like if they don't, they kind of know that they're on a set, but to them, it just like, we'll put up like flags and four by eight sheets and just like cover up all the gear. And so like okay, they walk in, like we'll just little holes, stick the lens through the <laughs> hole kind of thing, you know? <laughs> and they walk in and it's like, it looks a little weird, but they don't realize there's four people in yeah, there along with things. the other yeah, person right. who's yeah. asking the question. And yeah, sometimes we take the risk of, if, we, if we're really concerned about somebody not feeling comfortable, like we won't put a lav on them, we'll take the risk of just a boom. Sure, right, okay. Because yeah, the miking people up, especially if you're trying to hide it, sure. super invasive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> So yeah, just, you know, put this down your shirt and let me grab you in right. the back and all this. Like, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, even for people who speak professionally. Totally. Uh, yeah. yeah, putting a mic on is invasive, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, and even uh, even like from a lighting standpoint, like we always try to have somebody sit in that maybe looks similar to what the person looks like so right, that right. we feel really good about the lighting before they sit down. So it's right. not like, because nothing's weirder than like sitting there and everybody else is looking at a monitor talking about how you look. Right, right. And like, let's change this, let's change yeah, this. Somebody like, coming up with a light meter exactly, in front of your face. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so try, and again, like professionals, people who do it all the time, they're more used to that. But yeah, right, if it's right. somebody who you're, want to feel comfortable for their story. Like sure. do everything you can before they get on set to make it like they sit down and they start talking and it's great. Yeah. Right. Now in your experience, like the, where do the stories come from? Like in the church environment, you know, you're trying to do life change and what God is doing at yeah. the church. It's like people do it a lot of different ways. And I don't know if there's one right way. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of churches will have like, like a place on their website. Like you All can right, tell, tell us your, your story. story, you know, that type of thing. The, approach we typically had at Willow was who do we know key staff and volunteers who can point us to the right stories? Sure. Right. And what we ended up doing was, I know I talked earlier about this like kind of storytelling approach that we had. Mm -hmm. We ended up having conversations with those people. Like this is the type of story that we're looking for. Like this is the kind of arc. Is there like, you know, that kind of thing. And so, because I think there's a story that you hear from somebody who's like, oh, that's interesting story. And then that story does not work on video at all. Sure, right. There's not enough beats to it or there's one note or whatever, you know? Yeah. And so having people who understand how story works, kind of going out and finding stories mm-hmm. is, or not even finding it like you're a detective. It's just like keeping your ears being open. Being aware, right? Yeah, being aware of like, hey, I heard, you know, inevitably in church, like God is working and stuff bubbles up that you hear like, right, right. and this is a really cool thing that God did. And then it's like, 
tell me a little bit more about that and kind of interacting with him. And I think most people who have had like a God experience of some kind of work in their life want to talk about it and share it. Right, I right. mean, they're not so afraid that they wouldn't be interested in having a conversation and sharing how awesome it was or right, whatever, right. you know. Yeah. I don't want to throw the website, tell us your story thing under the bus, but sometimes you get people who really, really just want to be famous sure, or right. want to be on camera or yeah, whatever. And yeah. so they're like, they're making something up or they're like a little loose with the facts just so they can have a cool story and maybe get on camera. And sure, like, those right. aren't the type of people that you really want. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's a little bit of a, and again, with the kind of just uh, blank slate website thing, it's a little bit of a crapshoot because you're like, maybe there's not really a story and they think there is or right 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 so again it's a it's an avenue to find them but it might be a little more work than having people you trust around whether it's staff and volunteers who like know the congregation and know sure right yeah. right and I, I would say even similarly in like non-ministry situations it's still we want to tell a story of this it's like well let's have a conversation about what is that story really? Right, right. And why do you think that's important? Like maybe there's enough, or maybe it's half of a story and there's another half that we can, what about their husband or what about sure, their right. dog or whatever, yeah, yeah. you know, like yeah. what? how else can we kind of encapsulate this whole thing? Right, right. So. And I think too, so many ministries that see video getting used, want to use it just because people yeah. are, when there's really nothing to tell or- yeah. I mean, it's it's the problem all around that's not just on video, but even up from the platform. It's all about information. Too much information, totally. not enough yeah. story. And the to be able to figure out what is the story we're trying to tell, not what is the what are the facts we're trying to totally. portray. Yeah, and one of the great questions the executive producer here consistently asks, is video the only way to do this? Huh. Like, yeah, because somebody's like, let's tell them all the announcements on video. And it's like, is that the most effective use of video to have right. somebody standing there talking about announcements or sure. live in the service, or is there other ways to approach it? And right, so, right. yeah, certainly like creative pieces, somebody's testimony, like, yeah, that's a great use for video. Yeah. But maybe there's not, maybe just a bunch of graphics isn't going to help. Right. Is there a better way to do this? Yeah, or, yeah. And that pushes creativity a little bit too. And typically video is a pretty heavily resourced thing. If you're going to put the time into making a video, you know, right. with multiple people, Equipment, time, all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. yeah, versus the time involved and somebody just standing up and exactly. saying it from the stage. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had we had to push it well a long time for like let's make announcement videos, let's do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And what we found is they weren't they took a lot of time. Number one, number two, there wasn't as big of a response huh. as a live person on stage who is trusted right. by the congregation saying, "Check this out" or "Do this." That yeah. had got way more legs than some like peppy host sure, right. who we don't really know right. doing announcements. Yeah, you know? yeah. So It's interesting. I went to a church recently and they had like a two minute countdown, you know, before their service started. And it was basically, uh, I wouldn't call it a highlight reel, but there were shots of, you know, what was going on around the church or whatever. And then somebody standing, you know, just reading from a teleprompter, but hey, our service is about to start. This is what you can expect from our service. It will be this long. You, yep. There'll be some singing. We're going to stand. You know, it's like very casually just talking about, yep. hey, if you're new here, this is what's about to happen. And it was in the moment where maybe no one's paying attention except yep. for that person who's never who's been. Who's new, yeah, who's staring yeah. at the screen. Like, and I thought, on, this yeah. is the coolest way to use this two minutes. Yep. 
they're using the same video for like four months at a yep. time or whatever, and then yeah. get somebody new, but same message kind of. Yeah, I thought it was such a useful way of using that time and not overdoing it with the for like sure. throwing all the announcements in. Yep. But yeah, it does go back to the why. Like there's a clear why there. Like right. there's there's new people in our room. They don't know what's going on. Like, how can we do something that helps them feel comfortable? And yeah. Right. yeah. So that's a great example of it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, not something that would be as, as effective if somebody stood on stage and did it. Right. Or the, every greeter who does, you know, like yeah, there's, yeah. there's, it's a great way to kind of hit everybody. And I would, I would guess, I don't know, maybe they stream online and stuff too, but that's yeah. a great dual purpose. Like if you're watching this online, this is what you can expect. Sure. Right. Yeah, thing, yeah. So. yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for making time. Sure. It's been fun. This is I've fun. like just looked at, well, we've been talking for a while. That's yeah. all been good. Well, though. I could yeah. ramble about video forever. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we'll have to have a part two uh, for sure, yeah. podcast coming up soon. <laughs> so thanks for making awesome. time. Yep. Thanks. Especially with video being the way we're all experiencing church these days, this was a really great conversation to have. Um, I love that Andrew isn't just making videos for the fun of it uh, or because that everybody else is doing it, but really digging into why. Why should we make a video in the first place? And is this the best way to tell this story? I was also really interested in the fact that for testimony videos, which a lot of us are doing, that Andrew really worked on scripting them out basically pre-interviewing the people to get at the story and figuring out how can we tell this most effectively. And so writing out a storyboard and a script and then re-interviewing the people on camera to get at kind of that storyline. Anyway, I had a great time with Andrew. That was fun. Don't forget to sign up for the Philo Conference, the online version, May 19th and 20th. It's gonna be a new experience for all of us, but I can't wait to see what God does in the Philo community through our gathering together. You know what? Philo from the beginning was God's idea. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to try it. And if it works, I'm going to keep doing it. And if it's not what God wants, then we'll stop doing it. And I feel the same way about this year. It's no different. We still want to make effective technical artists in the local church so that their churches are more effective. Our churches are more effective. And that hasn't changed. And I believe that God is able to do something special and unique through the internet on May 19th and 20th. So I'd really encourage you, if you're on the fence, if you're thinking about it, yeah, just sign up. I think it's going to be a great, great experience. And uh, just one more thing in kind of the uncertain times we're living in, there are a lot of great places you can go to get advice on how to stream your service more effectively, what other people are doing. MXU.rocks has a thing you can sign up for a consultation just to talk to somebody about how they do stuff. I know Summit Integrated, uh, one of our sponsors, they're doing a lot of stuff online. There's a lot that you can get at to understand how to do what we do in this new reality. I know for me, just kind of struggling with what is tomorrow gonna look like? I know that prayer has had a new resurgence in my own life and journaling and that sort of thing. And if you feel like you're in a place where you're struggling and just wanna share with somebody, we would love to pray for you. And if you wanna send us an email to prayers at philo.org, our team will pray for you and we'll keep it anonymous or whatever, but just so you know that someone's praying for you. Anyway, you can follow us on social media at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram, and you can find us on Twitter at, at Philo Conference. You can always see what's happening on philo.org. If you have questions or suggestions for the podcast, shoot us an email, philopodcast at philo.org. It's been good to be with you again. Stay safe. And hopefully next time we talk, maybe we'll be like, 
not social distancing anymore. Anyway, talk to you soon. 